0: Today we come to the final sermon in our foundation's teaching series. The goal of this series has been to talk about what is constant, what is dependable in a world where so much is changing so quickly. What's acceptable in society is changing very quickly. What social norms are, are changing very quickly. Technology is making things change incredibly quickly. We're able to hear from speakers and thought leaders and politicians from around the uh, world at the touch of a button. Worldviews can change very, very quickly. As we go through this pandemic, things change. It can feel like it's swirling. And it still feels that way, even though we're reemerging, doesn't it? What are we going to be able to do this summer? How's travel going to work? When can we travel internationally? How is that going to take place? How far in advance can we make plans? We're gonna need booster shots for the variants that may be coming out. How do we think about that? What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to work? Are we going be going back to office space? Or has that changed? There's so much we don't know. It can feel like things are moving very quickly. It can feel like things are uncertain. And the goal of this series is to say, in the midst of that, what is the foundation of life? What is unchanging? What is solid that we can build our worldviews on? And to guide us in what is foundational, we've been walking our way for a few months through the Apostles' Creed. Now, as I said the first week, the Apostles' Creed in our book of creeds and confessions is completely unique in that it was not written by professional clergy. Now, as a professional clergy, I don't mean that that means it's, not as, it's better than the other ones. It's not that the ones written by professional clergy are bad, but it's unique. And it's unique because it was written uh, and spoken, actually, first as a baptismal liturgy in the earliest days of the church. This goes back to Jerusalem and to the immediate areas around there, just in the years following Jesus. When in the earliest church, baptisms of new converts would take place usually on Easter Sunday. And the Apostles' Creed was the first declaration that people were saying, what does it mean to be a Christian? And so as you people were baptized in this faith, they would be asked these questions. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the creator? Do you believe in Jesus who came into the world, who suffered under Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate was just ruling yesterday. You know this person. He was ruling just around the corner. This comes from the earliest foundations of the church. He suffered was crucified, dead and buried, he descended into hell, but the third day he rose again. Do you believe this? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? This is unified and been foundational, not just for this church and this series. This is this creed has been spoken for thousands of years. It is said this is the foundation of what it means to follow Jesus. This is the hope that we claim. This has been spoken in every continent around the world. This is unified Christians. Of all times and places. It's foundational in expressing who we are and what we believe. Today we come to the final statement in the Apostles' Creed, the final of the I believe statements, where we declare that I believe in the life everlasting. I believe in the life everlasting. The scripture that's going to guide us comes from the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. Sometimes in the Presbyterian church, we're not certain what that book is. It's the last book in the Bible. And this is the last chapter of the last book in the Bible. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to listen, to read along to God's word to us today. John writes this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would meet us this day. And no matter how we walk in here, we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, friends, so as we come to this last phrase, I believe in the life everlasting, it, 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 it's normal and it's, and it's logical that the, how we would think about this is to think about uh, time in terms of quantity, right? Like, how long are we actually talking about here? And what in the world is going to keep us occupied for that long? As we talked about last week, and we see in the book of Revelation today, life everlasting is not going to be an eternal church service with a pastor that just goes on and on and on and on because he can't read the cues in the room and people have fallen asleep, but man, he's just, or she's just going. It's also not going to be a, you can play golf whenever you want to, play cards with his friends whenever he wants to. It's not going to be that. You'll be bored with that in five minutes. Rather, what we see here in the book of Revelation is that it's not about quantity of time, but that life everlasting is really about quality. It's about the quality of a relationship. It's a declaration that you and I are at our core, that where we find meaning in life is in connection, is in relationship. That it is true in the book of Genesis, in the earliest chapters of the Bible, when it says, when God says, it is not good for people to be alone. That we find meaning in our life with God and in our life together. And this quality of experience, this quality of relationship is what makes life everlasting, life everlasting. It's important not to think so much in quantity today as it is about quality. Now what the book of Revelation says is that that life everlasting, life eternal, that there will be a, a city, John writes about, a vision that he's given, He calls it the New Jerusalem, that the New Jerusalem descends from heaven to earth and that we enter into the New Jerusalem. As we see here, as we enter into this city, people from every tribe and every tongue will be there. Every corner of the globe will be represented. We will be one family of faith, women and men gathered together as brothers and sisters that we will stream into this city and there will be no need for lamp by night or sun by day because the light that will allow us to venture forward comes from the very center of the city, John says. In the center of the city, past the, uh, the leaves of the tree that are for the healing of the nations, We get to the very center of the city. There is a throne, and on that throne is God. What I want you to see is that at the end, what Life Everlasting points to is that the Apostles' Creed works almost as a circle because the one seated on that throne is the one we began the Creed with, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that in that moment... We will gather around the throne and that we will, it says, in the most magnificent words that I think exist in Scripture, we will see God's face. That we will gather in worship and we will see the face of God. And in that unfiltered moment of relationship, of connection, time won't matter anymore. We won't even be aware of it. Because we will be lost in the gaze of our maker. Australian theologian Ben Myers writes about this uh, in in a wonderful little book on the Apostles' Creed. He writes this, he says, Eternal life is about quality, not quantity. It is a quality of life that believers experience whenever they attach themselves to Jesus. When we confess we believe in eternal life, we're not talking about the duration of life, but about a relationship. In the person of Jesus, we find ourselves drawn into a quality of life that is so rich that it can only be described as eternal. And Ben Myers says that in this world we get actually a little preview of this. We get a preview of it because there are times in relationships where the quality of them is so strong and so good and love is so real that we can lose track of hours. Time is lost. I know people who have experienced this when they've reconnected with folks after the pandemic. Good friends, best friends, when you get together you can lose hours talking and you're not worried about the time. And in the same way quality of our connections is bad, when the quality of our relationships is bad, when we are isolated, when we are alone, time can seem to drag forever. Quality of our relationships can change how we experience time. Life eternal isn't that we're going to be sitting there going, oh, how much longer could this be? The quality will be so good that time won't matter to us anymore. Like many of you, our family had to develop new rhythms during the pandemic uh, to keep ourselves rational uh, when we were in kind of the, the, the lockdown times of this. And so we um, uh, watched a, a pretty much every age appropriate show on Netflix. Uh, I think we got to the end of the internet that exists in that Uh, We kind of read some some books, we did puzzles, uh, and uh, we played about 120 games of the board game Clue over and over and over again, uh, just to kind of keep going. But we had this time that, especially with teenagers, you don't often get as parents. And one day, as we were in our house trying to search for how is today different from yesterday and will be different from tomorrow, and what can we do uh, to keep ourselves going, um, we got to do something that we wouldn't normally get to do, and that is that we pulled out some photo albums from before our girls were born. Now, in every family, uh, in every kind of relationship, usually there's one designated photographer, right? And you don't have to designate that. that you know, maybe you have more than one, and then you compete over who's the photographer. But you go on vacation or you do certain things. Somebody's the photographer, right? And then can kind of send this stuff out. In our family, it's my wife, Beth. She is not only a really good photographer, she has a good eye for photography, but she's also a great archivist. She takes the time, and this is all before digital photography, because we were old. Although she does this now in digital photography, but the albums we pulled out were printed copies of pictures. And she had started with every year of college. She had like her first year of college. It was in one album together. But not only did she take great pictures, but she then archives them by having a card next to each one that's covered up, so you can't, so it stays in place and you can't touch it, and it has the names of the people and the date and what they're doing. And so we were just talking with our girls. My my wife, as many of you know, is from Wales in Great Britain and she was like telling them things of of the university that she went to over there and these experiences, it was great. And then we went through uh, different albums from her college years and then the next album that came out was what she did after college. And as many of you know, after college Beth graduated and went to Japan to teach on the JET program, a teaching program over there in very rural Japan. She had a great album of that, of where it started and she had photos of... um, of her orientation and people she was meeting and names and she went to her school and met the teachers that she would be teaching with. She had their names and our girls were looking at them in the school uniforms and it was really cool. And then she went a couple of pages on and there was a photo of a group who went climbing from our our prefecture, our county. Uh, We went, uh, a group of of foreign teachers went climbing Mount Fuji one night. She had photos of climbing up Mount Fuji with her friends and and we got to the top and and we're watching the sunrise and she had these great pictures and she was documenting it. And then she had some photos of going down Mount Fuji. And Mount Fuji, uh, if any of you climbed it, it's, it's like shale. It's loose shale. It's very difficult to go down. You just sort of like stumble and roll and try not to, 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 to die uh, as you're going down it. But you're slipping and sliding. And as we were going through these, these pictures of the descent, this photo popped up. You can see the clouds that are there. And one of my daughters looked and goes, Dad, is that you? It's the first time I appeared in Beth's photo album. She didn't even know my name. She got it wrong on the card. I was. <laughs> I make I make a really good first impression, folks. Uh, and it wasn't like way off. She called me Tom in it uh, from America. And, uh, but this is, this is me, that's me crouching as we descend uh, uh, down and are resting and, and, um, but we didn't, she didn't, we didn't know who each other was, and it was the first time I appeared. And then she kind of went on uh, to some other pictures, and then this one appeared. Uh, That's me without the glasses. This is a whitewater rafting trip that a group of us uh, took, and this is when uh, we had definitely noticed each other at that point. And at that, by I mean that, I had definitely noticed her at this point. Uh, you can even see that, that she's sitting in one boat, and I'm like leaning into the boat wanting to be uh, in, the, in the picture. But it was on this trip that kind of dating sort of started here. And we started kind of seeing that and, uh, and where that would go. And then we went a few months on, and then this picture came up. Now, Wasson, you were like 10 when this picture was taken. (laughs) And unfortunately for you, you've grown up in the world of like skinny jeans and stuff. You don't know what real fashion is like. The the baggy, washed out jeans and hiking boots, look. And what you don't know from the baseball cap turned backwards is the bill of the cap was actually held on by duct tape, which which made it super awesome uh, and cool until we were married and then Beth threw it away. But this is a picture of us in Malaysia. I mean, in in, in Indonesia. Uh, We went with a group of eight people for the New Year's that first year on a three-week backpacking trip uh, around different islands of Indonesia. And this was the day that I knew I wanted to marry her. Because we had times where we sat and had coffee for like four hours Not because we didn't have anything to do, but because time just changed. And it didn't really matter, because we just were talking. The quality of connection and relationships changes. Eternal life, life everlasting, isn't about the quantity of time, it's about the quality of relationships, and yet this is the relationship that every one of us was designed for. Because ultimate meaning, where the quality of time truly exists like no other is not when it's when husband and wife, not when it's between girlfriend and boyfriend, not when it's between child and parent or grandparent and grandchild, as wondrous as those moments are, it's not between best friends, as wondrous as that is, where we can lose track of time for an instant. But it's a preview, Ben Meyer says, of what the whole nature of life everlasting is when the veil will be removed from our eyes and the quality of our connection with our Creator will sweep us away. And time won't exist anymore because we will be so fulfilled. Isn't it amazing to think about? Isn't it amazing what the creed is pointing to at the very end? It's this hopeful declaration that we see in Revelation 22 of what life can be about and what life will be about one day. It is glorious to imagine. But as we close today, and as we close also this series, I want us to not just say this is what it's going to be like when we die. The church has sometimes made mistakes, and it's like sold people on this thing of like, hey, it's going to be really great after we die, so... You know, you're not going to get to do everything that maybe your neighbors get to do, and sometimes you're going to wonder if you're having as much fun, but once you die, it gets really, really good for you, so just wait for what your eternal reward, right? And, and it is going to be amazing after we die. I don't want to take away from that, but we as people of faith also need to realize that our job isn't just to wait till after we die, but it's to start building the stuff of the kingdom now. It's why we stand for things like justice in this world because the the kingdom represents a a way where all will be gathered and all are equal. And until that time, we stand for it because this is the stuff of eternity. So we wanna be kingdom builders now. It's why we talk about love and service and the ways that we do service to each other because that's what love is because that's the stuff of the kingdom. We see this in Jesus. So let's build these things now. And if eternity, if life everlasting is built around the quality of our connection with God, then where I wanna end this, this day is to ask you the question how are you doing in your spiritual life how are you doing in your connection how are you doing in your love affair with the creator of the universe how are you doing in that for many of us the last year has been difficult in that it is interrupted patterns it is interrupted habits it is you may be in a place where it feels spiritually dry you may be sitting there right now going I don't even know that I've ever experienced that And that's okay, but what we need to do is we need to understand that if that's the stuff of eternity, then our habits need to reflect that this is what we should be going for now. Not because the pastor goes, hey, if you're in the church, you need to have a prayer time every morning but because this is the essence of life. If we put up on the screens, and we don't worry, we're not gonna do this, but if we put up on the screens your calendar for this week, would people look at your calendar, would they look at my calendar and go, oh, this person is living for the stuff of eternity now? No, I doubt many, many of us it would. And what that's like, that is like if you and I were going out to dinner in Austin and there we, we had an opportunity to go to like one of the best restaurants that you have to make a reservation at four weeks in advance, a- and you're going to go there, and it's like the best food, and, and it's got stuff you can't even pronounce is in the ingredients, but it just is so good, and they put it together, and everyone's writing about it and talking about it, and, and, and we get in, and on the way down there, we're like, you know, there's just a McDonald's. Let's just get a Big Mac instead. Like getting busy with the wrong stuff is like settling for stuff that is like, is it that great? Nope, but I'm just going to keep busy with it. Our lives need to build this here and now. And if you are somebody that's going, I don't know where my relationship is, I don't know where that connection is, then it's time to start kickstarting it. For some of you may be going, I, I'm feeling very spiritually alive right now. And keep building those patterns. But if you're not, I don't want you to hear that it's because you, you, you're not meant for it. You are meant for it. You've just got to find your way of doing it. And you've got to work at it over the long term, like any relationship that's worth building. But what we also know in our spiritual lives, if you need a bit of a kickstart, is you should start talking to people about what they do to feel connected with God. Because studies show that people's way they connect with God changes over time. So if you used to do, have a, a habit of prayer three years ago, and now it just feels dry, it's okay to let it go. You don't have to guilt trip yourself into keep trying to pray the right way. Think of it this way. Beth, Beth and I have, as I told you, two daughters, Miriam and Hannah, who are 16 and 14. When we spend time together, it's different than what we did 10 years ago when they were six and four. When they were six and four, I could say, hey, it's Saturday, let's go out in the backyard and play hide and seek. If I looked at my two kids right now on a Saturday and said, let's go in the backyard and play hide and seek, their looks would convey what they know they can't say out loud. (laughs) And that's okay. Because we have to be present where we are now in our connection. So we watch a a series on on Netflix and, and talk about it, or we'll go for a walk, or we'll go out to dinner and talk about school and talk about friendship and talk about life. What we're gonna do 10 years from now when they're 26 and 24, or 20 years from now when they're 36 and 34 is different than what we're doing now. Relationships grow and change. And so find some new ways, try some new things. Google how people do this. Talk to someone in your small group and just start trying. As I've told many of you, I was so guilty in, in, in seminary when I was studying for ministry because when people are like, oh, I, I stayed in my room and, and prayed for an hour about this. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I can't do that. I still can't do that today because my mind is wandering in 400 different directions. I cannot. And if, and if you've got to go find another church because you need a pastor who can do that, I, I can't do it. I'm confessing it now. But I can pray for an hour, but I've got to be moving. I gotta be walking. I gotta be hiking. I gotta be outside. If I do that, I can feel very connected with the Lord. And I feel very comfortable that when it says, Jesus went outside, he went up onto a mountainside to pray. So I actually think. (laughs) I'm just saying. It worked for the man. so. But I want you to know, in all seriousness, this last week I have not been feeling particularly close to God. There's been a lot that's just been swirling. And this week, in the middle of knowing I needed that and being down here, I was walking out to my car and was reminded of something. There is a prayer labyrinth on our campus, you don't need a reservation. You don't need an appointment. You can go there today. You can go there tomorrow. And I spent 45 minutes walking the prayer labyrinth and being led by the prayers that are already out there prompting you to pray, and it changed because I saw a glimpse of the eyes of my Creator. And I wasn't sitting there going, boy, this is taking a long time. 45 minutes went like that. What's foundational? In this world and the world to come, is the same thing. It's the love and the presence and constant faith and grace of God. May we live for eternity. But may it start today. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for your leading and your guiding. We ask for you to be with us. And as we look forward to seeing your face and for that moment of completion to be ours, may we not wait for the world to come, but may it start today. May we seek your face. May we come to life. May we find ways of connecting with you that bring us life and greater life. May we start living for the things of the kingdom now. Lead us all. Guide us. Help us to take a step this week towards you that we might remember what life is truly about. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.